Today's podcast is sponsored by Fire Facilities Incorporated, expert engineers, designers, and manufacturers of steel training towers, burn rooms, and mobile units that are all made in the USA. Welcome back to Three Point Firefighter. Today, my guest is OJ Koloje. Now, OJ is a captain with Birmingham Fire and Rescue, and he's been there for about 21 years. Now, out of those 21 years, he's almost always been on a truck or heavy rescue company. And I still love the guy, no matter what. <laughs> now, OJ is also the owner of Magic City Truck Academy. Brother Koloje, thank you for being on my show. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me. Hey, why don't you uh, tell me a little bit about what got you in the fire service uh, to where you ended up now? What really got me in the fire service, to be honest with you, uh, I wanted to be a cop. <laughs> so I took the, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I was a I was a fireman or a damage controlman in the Navy. So you know, oh, I got okay. a little touch. Yeah, I got a little touch of it there. Uh, but my my dream was to be a cop, and uh, when I got out. Um, I took a couple tests, and my mother's from, from Birmingham. So when I got out of the military, I came down here. I took their police test and uh, the fire test. Well, the fire department called first. So I was like, right. I'll try it, and loved it ever since. Oh, nice. Now, when you took the police test, how many donuts were you able to eat in three minutes? Because I know that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I hate to say this, but their test was just a touch harder. Uh, but I'm happy that fire department called first. <laughs> I, there's a there's a new recruit that I have that was a cop for nine years and he jumped over a firefighter. Yeah, I do know of one firefighter that has left the fire department where I was at, not here where I'm at currently, to become a cop, and he seemed to really really love it. So, yeah, we had a couple from Birmingham leave and became uh, police officers somewhere else. You know, it, it, oh. civil service is civil service. You go and jump back and forth so you know but i'm happy that where i'm at now and picking the fire side so i'll tell you one thing you brought it up and i've never completely understood a damage controlman in the navy yeah so they don't have like just firefighters is that right uh they, or is they called damage controlman everybody's a firefighter in the mil in the navy everybody because if the ship right. catches fire you know there's not enough damage controlman to handle it so Everybody's a firefighter, if you want to say that. So even if you weren't in, in the damage control division, you're uh, you're still a fireman. So what's like the daily duties of a damage controlman? Uh, fireman checks, uh, hose checks, uh, whatever they have on the schedule for the monthlies, uh, weeklies. Uh, it's almost like the fire service. So you do your daily checks on the engine. Uh, you do checks on mains, uh, so it's it it crosses over a little bit. What's good now with the military is uh, my son's getting ready to go in. Uh, so we got interrupted. Uh, tell me, I think we left off where you're telling me about being a damage controlman and how it's a lot like just the fire service with your daily checks and stuff. Pretty much. Uh, uh, what they have now, I think they started a few years ago. Uh, it's like almost like a crossover. So. Uh, they're really helping the military people cross over to civilian life. So say you're a damage controlman, they're helping you like kind of do a recruit school, civilian recruit school, and then you can hopefully find a job outside of, out of that. 
because back in the mid nineties, when you got out of the military, there's really no help. It's like, up oh, here you go. You're on your own, you know, but now that the military side is really trying to help, uh, the veteran find, find a job. But yeah, uh, it's just like regular, uh, like the fire, fire station, you know, every morning you have like a roll call or we called it a muster, make sure everybody's there and they're sober and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you just go on with your daily, daily stuff. So, so what made you want to join the Navy and not be a hero firefighter in the air force? Uh, well, that, that's a super long story, but, uh, I'll just say this much. The military saved me uh, big time. Um, they, they really, the military saved my life. I'll just say that they, it was almost a necessity for me growing up as, as a kid, I was getting in a lot of trouble, got into a lot of trouble and, uh, yeah, that that's the path I had to choose. So, and you and you you're from Chicago, you said, right? Correct. There can't be a lot of trouble up in Chicago to get into. Uh, you wouldn't think so, uh, but trouble finds you, especially up there. Uh, as a teenager, uh, it doesn't take much uh, to to find you, especially my upbringing. Uh, I didn't have the best upbringing. The pa my parents weren't. They, I'll just say it. They were drunks. So, uh, you know, growing up in that environment and growing up as a teenager in a city like that, it doesn't take much to find trouble. And uh, I right. found it. So, but again, the, the military saved me. That Well, you know, that's it's a great story because, you know, some people don't don't get out of trouble that early in their, their life. You know, some people stay in it. And, you know, I don't know a whole lot of stories of people that are into a lot of trouble as youth and then were able to, uh, you know, jumpstart their life again. I'm a huge proponent of joining the military. Yeah. I love it. I wish all my kids joined the military. Um, if I could go back in time, so I was in the Air Force. If I could go back in time, I would have joined the Navy and, you know, seen the world. I would have done it right out of high school. And that's my recommendation to everybody because, you know, any branch you go into, you're going to travel and see things. Uh, but the Navy, you know, now let me ask you this. Did you ever do a Westpac? Yes. Yep. So are um, you, uh, are you a shell pack? You're a, uh, I was a shell back. So you're a shell back. So how miserable was that? I guess you did that in the early two thousands or no, 90s? no mid nineties. So it, uh, <laughs> it wasn't bad. They talk about how it used to be back in the day. Uh, right. they used to have these things called shillelaghs and what the shillelagh was, uh, you just took the cover off of a, the fire hose and you had the rubber and they would duct tape the end of the rubber hose. And as you're crawling by, they would just whip the daylights out of you. Uh, so the Navy kind of softened up back in the mid nineties, if you want to say, but even now the uh, shellback ceremony is really watered down. It's nowhere near as it was from uh, friends that I have still in. Yeah, I've heard horrible stories from people that have been in the Navy. Now, you become a shellback when, when you cross the equator. The equator, it? yeah. Yeah. So it's it's an all-day, at least, I, am I wrong? It's an all-day like all ceremony. Well, it starts around 4 or 5, and then um, mm -hmm. ends around lunchtime, maybe a little after. And then you have what is called um, a steel beach picnic. And what it is is just a day off, really. You clean up, and they... They do a barbecue and stuff on the flight deck. I was on a carrier, 
So they do a uh, barbecue on the flight deck and all that, and it's a good time afterwards. Oh, it's wow. a real so bonding damage control. Well, I've always heard that. I've heard it's it's something you, you dread to go through, but you want to go through it, so you're part of that group again. That's right. Know, and the, the thing about ends. that is there's uh, that day there's no rank. Uh, so say the captain of your boat is a wog. He's going through the shellback ceremony just like a, a boot coming out of boot camp. Oh, no shit. Yeah, that was then. Now I, now I don't know. But, uh, yeah, right. we there was lieutenants and lieutenant commanders that were going through it. And it's like, uh, you know, you're sucking like the rest of us. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess that's a good point, too, being a, a damage controlman on, like, say, a destroyer versus uh, uh, aircraft carriers different because now you're dealing with uh, crash fire rescue, right? Uh, to a point, yeah. You know, there's a crash division and then uh, – uh, you have aircraft rec- uh, aircraft recovery division, and then sometimes you, uh, yeah, you get in the potato suit and all that. I, again, the military went through a revamp, uh, so it's it's kind of hard to keep track of what everybody's doing what now. But in the mid nineties, right. yeah. So you you join the military, get your life straight. The military straightens you out. If, well, if I remember boot, correctly, <laughs> boot camp quite didn't. I was still kind of hard headed, but. Uh, what straightened me out really and the light bulb clicked was I got in trouble on ship and uh, there was a there was a senior chief up there and we were having a drill. We were having a fire party drill and there was a hazmat drill and uh, I opened a door that I shouldn't have opened and he was standing on the other side and uh, he, uh, he tugged on my shirt and uh, pulled me in and he gave me the whole thing. You know, there's no I in team and all that. Well, I muttered under my breath, yeah, but there's an M and an E, though, MFR, and he heard me. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah. And uh, we went to his Jesus. office, and it was just he and I in the office, and he basically said, uh, I can take everything away from you except your birthday. And uh, for whatever reason, that light bulb turned on right then, and that that really straightened me out. Really? Yeah, one that one, that that one little like- sentence. Uh, yeah, help me, save me. So, how old were you when that happened? Nineteen. Oh, well, that's man. That's for a nineteen-year-old to straighten out like that. Man, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I was, I was still. Uh, I did a lot of things wrong when I was young. I just didn't get caught, you know. Right. And uh, I, I wanted to. Most of my family were in the military, so I got to spinning my wheels in my twenties. And I was like, man, I can sit here and work minimum wage jobs for the rest of my life and still be broke. I worked 80 hours a week, some, some weeks just to be broke. And that yeah. didn't make any sense to me. And since my mil- my family was in the military, I was like, I think I need to join the military. So as soon as I got in there, uh, th- th- that whole, that whole culture just snapped me in. I didn't want to be a firefighter. You got, I got to pick four jobs. Firefighter was one of them. Yeah. And Uncle Sam thought I'd probably be a better firefighter than fixing radios at Houston, which is what I wanted. Right. Uh, and fell in love with it. Fell in love with it. So you're on the boat. You're damage patrolman. Now you get out of the Navy. How do yeah. you go from Chicago to the Navy to the fire service in Alabama? No, no. So I got out of the military and uh, I came down here to uh, kind of reconcile with my mother. And uh, mm-hmm. I had uh, I had a weird talent. I was able to ride a skateboard pretty well. So when I got out of the military, 
I rode a skateboard before I went in, but when I got out, the military kind of gave me the folk more focus. So mm-hmm. I really focused on that for a couple of years, and uh, I excelled somewhat in it until I got hurt. And then uh, when I got hurt, that's when I started focusing on, you know, the fire department. Were you trying to be a professional skateboarder? I was trying. Uh, uh, I was an amateur. I had a shop sponsor and all that. And then uh, I fell and I hurt my back. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just like uh, the skateboard world when it comes to, it's just like football or baseball or any athletics. Uh, once you get hurt pretty serious, nobody wants to touch you. Because uh, right. now you're, you're kind of a liability. You're not an asset. You know, you're not going to be a good return on their investment. So I was down for a little bit. And then uh, that's when I took Birmingham's test. And here we are. So uh, so now you start with Birmingham. And were you as obviously you're into the job. Were you as into the job when you first got on? Or did that just develop over the years? Uh, well, when I first got I got hired in 2000. Uh, so Birmingham, then there were still a lot of old heads, uh, a lot of old salts that were on in 2010, we had a massive buyout and all those old salts left. So, uh, in 2000, they were there and, uh, you know, when you get on the fire service, you're, you're not quite sure, you know, what is going on? You know, you, you, you don't, you don't know what to expect, I guess to say, well, luckily for me, I had a lot of old heads that pointed me in the right direction and uh, stayed on top of me. Uh, Again, the focus from the military plus them staying on top of me and giving me the discipline, that's where, you know, I really fell in love with the job. And that's what I'm trying to do now with our our Rook. We have a brand new Rook, and she's out like six months. So she doesn't have an idea of the fire service at all. Uh, She, you know, she's a good Rook. So the main thing as a senior officer and our senior people on our shift is trying to keep her focused and disciplined to fall in love with the job like the rest of us. Right. And, and how do you do that? I mean, how do you get somebody else to fall in love with the job? Because there's so many variables to their personality. Like, you know, maybe they did it for, you know, to get the, you know, work 10 days a month. Maybe they did it for the money. I mean, how do you bridge that? So, one of the things uh, my wife was telling me about in her world was the types of uh, motivation. And then there's uh, the, um, oh, darn, let me see if I get this right. There's interest-based motivation, and then there's responsibility-based motivation. And I've met a ton of firefighters with interest-based motivation, meaning they come there to work their 10 days a week, so they get the insurance to run their other job and blah, blah, blah. And then the firefighters that I'm drawn to that. I'm like, these are great mentors. These are, these are great uh, uh, firefighters are more responsibility based. So I guess what I'm getting at is if you have that, those two, do you struggle getting one from one area to the other from yeah. interest yeah. to responsible? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I think that's everywhere. Uh, not just within my department. I'm sure that's in every department. Uh, but what I'd like to do, especially young people, they're so moldable. You know, mm-hmm. if you can grab them early and plant that seed in them early and mold that person, then, you know, you know, they're 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 going to be into it compared to if you just take a, a young person or a rook and send them somewhere and the officer does nothing. The senior person does nothing. That's when you're going to get what I call a rearview mirror fireman 
the fire department's in the rearview mirror when they leave. So if you get a young person, you plant that seed. Hey, this is more than just a paycheck. This is a lifestyle, you know, and that, that's the main thing is just create. Hey, this is a lifestyle. Uh, you live it, you breathe it, you eat it, um, you know. So that's what I try to instill in, in the young people that come to me. So that that's that's one way. So do you do this mostly through example, being a good example, or are there like little tricks of the trade that you have? Like, hey, watch this particular firefighter's videos or read these particular articles, or is it a combination? It's it's a combination, you know, because my way is not, say I teach you one way, that's not the only way, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I will show you the way that I like it, and then like our senior man, Brett, will show show her a different way that he likes and then we'll send articles and videos so she gets multiple perspectives and then she can take pieces up from all of us almost like a puzzle and put it together and make it work for her if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, that that makes a lot of sense but also we give we give the the young person you know you gotta have some ownership in this also so if you really want to own it you're gonna have to put the work behind it also so Right. And that's a good thing about our our young person is she'll and she'll bombard us with questions and all kinds of stuff. And once that stops, then that's when I'll start questioning what what's going on. You know, is it are you falling out of it or is there another issue or something like that? It sounds like to me because the newer generations and I, I'm I don't, I'm not one of those guys that say, well, this generation sucks, blah, blah, blah. Or my generation was better. Uh, I'd like to think I've got a good rudimentary grasp of, of the generational stuff to deal with different generations, especially as a training chief. So uh, I noticed you say that she asks a lot of questions. I've noticed that these different generations tend to ask a ton more questions and want yeah. to learn the why, just not the how. That's right. So it sounds like to me that you've got a good grasp on that as well and embrace it and embrace the different cultures and relation and uh, generations. And does, is that was that difficult at first, or did you just kind of slide right into it? No, no, no. That was difficult. So <laughs> <laughs> that was really difficult. And where my eyes opened up was uh, I went as went into uh, one of our academies as a training lieutenant, and uh, mm-hmm. that's why I really saw, hey, the people that taught me, yeah, I appreciate them and love them for everything that they instilled into me, but what I got to change the way that I'm training people now. Uh, For me, it was, again, it was harsh love. You know, you're going to do it this way, Rook, or no, you know, my way or no way. Well, then you you get into this newer generation of people. And like you said, they're asking why. And, uh, you know, that took me a little bit because I never asked why. It's like, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you want. You know, you want me to go on that roof and fall through it? I'll do it, you know. And now, but you probably weren't, if you were like me, you weren't given the option to have a why. That's right. That's right. There was no why. There was, you do what I say. You do what I say and you do it right now. And uh, the kids that were coming through in that recruit school and they're on, again, they're like, well, I understand you're telling me to do this, but why are we doing it this way? And the first time somebody asked me that, I was like, huh, uh, let me get back with you, you know, because it, that was like a a hit in the head and I never really thought about it. Why are we exactly doing it? We just know how to do it, but never really focused on the why to do it. And, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that hit me and I had to stop and completely, uh, redo my thinking. 
Right. I found with uh, newer people, uh, especially the younger generation people, uh, one of the best ways to get them to think is with forcible entry and a Halligan. Mm-hmm. So you can teach all day long, say, you know, the forks are for N-word and then the ads is for at-word. Uh, but if you frame it to like, you know, a basic understanding is this. Um, what are some of your, after they practice for a while, what are some of your options? What, what are some things you can think of that we could do differently and really kind of uh, nurture that aspect of the why? Because it gets them thinking. Because, you know, I think forcible entry can be pretty, there's so many variables, more variables than, than most things, that it's a great way to draw some of those whys out and, and, and have them think. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. We, my, my thing is, well, Clay McGee, he teaches with us. Um, I think he's one of the best forcible entry instructors there are. And every time we do a class, I just sit there and listen. So I'll take his tidbits and, uh, you know, I'll, and I'll, I'll grow from it. And so like with our, our rook, you know, I told her you can't do anything in, until you get in the house. So if you can't figure out how to force the door or throw a ladder or whatever to get us with inside this structure, we're pretty much useless. We're just dead in the water. So, excuse me, with her, uh, we just started basic, uh, just in uniform. Uh, force, just explain the halligan, the difference between the ads, the forks, uh, bevel to the door, bevel to the jam, uh, mechanics. And once she caught that, then we moved into turnout gear. Then once she got that, then we moved into SCBA. Then we moved on air. And now we are, we, uh, went to tight quarter force entry on air and she mm-hmm. did good on that. And now we're in zero viz feeling with your hands. So now we, we have the Halligan tooled. Um, so now what we're getting her used to is feeling where the ketchup and mustard on the forks are to the jam, how to feel the crotch to the jam. Uh, so this way, once she hits some type of zero visibility or she hits something to where she can't see perfectly. Now she got, she has the, the feel to it and right. uh, she's, she's getting, she's, she's grasping it very well. You said ketchup and mustard. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have it notched out the front cut, second cut, this generation, we, we call it ketchup and mustard. So that they, they kind of understand uh, the depths a little bit better that way. And we have it on the ads also. I see. Okay. That makes sense. I like yeah. it. So going back to, uh, we talked about motivating people. So yeah, I understand that the newer people are easier to mold because, you know, they are clay that you're trying to form. But after that clay gets in the kiln and becomes the old firefighter set in their ways, how do you try to switch them over or can you switch them over from an interest-based uh, motivation to a responsibility-based motivation. That seems to be a lot more difficult. It is. Uh, when I was a lieutenant on one's truck on on C-Shift, I had a lot of senior guys, and they were very, very, very good at their job. You know, and once you get like that, you almost become a rock, you know, because you, you know you're pretty good at your job. Um uh, they got like 15, 16 years are almost twilighting, uh, mm-hmm. getting ready to retire or whatnot. And what I did was I paid attention to see what their strong suit was. So my senior man at on my shift, uh, Joey, he was really good at extrication. I mean, he was a gem at it. So anytime we had an extrication drill or anything like that, he was 
He was my go-to. He, he led it. Uh, I had other two guys that were very big into the smoke diver program, uh, Luke and Chris, and they did consumption course every day. And, you know, when it came to on the fire ground, if it was anything that I knew was going to deal with heavy physical stuff like ladders, uh, VES or anything like that, they were my, my go-to guys. And then at the time, my driver, he was an aerial whiz, so he would spot, shoot the aerial, and uh, go from there. So you were just picking your subject matter experts That's it. And, and allowing them to excel in what they did best. Correct. So you weren't asking a guy that threw the ladder, great, hey, give us a class on this stuff. You knew that he really liked. So if you're trying to get him out of his shell a little bit or really focus on, on what he's doing, yeah, that's great. I like that. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, and then that let them uh, put their own ownership into it. But also another thing, as their officer on the fire ground, uh, you want to be a fireman or a firefighter? I'm going to let you be a firefighter until you mess up. And they were so they were so good at it. I never micromanaged them ever. We had our game plan uh, as a truck. We I knew where everybody was going. I knew what their strong points were. So as soon as we pulled up on scene, I knew where they were going. I never had a leash on them. Uh, All right. And I just I let them be firemen. And uh, hope you know. Hopefully they respect me for that because nowadays a lot of officers they're not letting you be firemen because they're they're a little bit more nervous now. Uh, they, they have a little bit of a tighter leash uh, right. on their people. And I think the reason, a couple reasons why for that is, one, I don't believe they fully trust their people. And two, as the officer, we got a lot of young officers, not just in our department, but throughout. Do they have that experience to understand, hey, this guy that's riding behind me, he knows what he's doing. And the reason why he knows what he's doing, one, I helped him, I taught him, but he also taught himself and stuff. If that makes sense. Right. So you, you got to put your trust in in your people. Uh, and another thing is you need to understand your audience. So my shift at one, man, I'd let them go, whatever, do whatever they needed to do. Now the gears have changed to where I'm riding a three man engine. I got somebody in the back with six months. Uh, and usually it's just her and I, if we arrive on scene until the driver gets ready. She can't go nowhere but my coattail. You know what I mean? Right. So that that's where, as an officer, you're going to have to shift gears uh, going from, man, a senior crew knocked out to, okay, now I got a rook that uh, knows nothing, and we have to teach them. So, that, so that, that's a very interesting point um, that you just brought up. I so there is there I have seen in the past companies that work flawlessly together because let's say for this example let's say the, the the particular officer is is that good that he can mold two people and he's got a great company right yeah here's where I'm kind of a dick okay I'm not in the decision making <laughs> place but let's say here's where I'm a dick if I know that guy's a great uh, officer and he's got a solid crew like what you're bringing up as an admin if i was that admin that could make decisions i would say okay now i'm gonna give you a different crew you've made these two guys really good here's yep. two more yeah so the argument is is the, the coin if you flip one coin you're like well you're busting up a good crew that works great together right but yeah my side of the coin is well they're so good because the officer made him good and he can make other people good yep. where do you land on that uh, well, I left that, that shift because I got promoted. Um, uh, 
and when I got promoted, I went to from engine truck back to strictly an engine. And uh, when I got there, I had two young people there, um, plus a senior driver. My senior man at the time only had maybe a year. And what they did, what they did, as soon as I walked through the door as their shift officer and uh, as a station captain, they hit me with transfer requests. And uh, they're like, I don't want to be here. I mean, as soon as I walked through the door. So I was like, Because okay. of you or something else? Uh, I believe it was something something else. So okay. where I'm at, my station is a technical rescue station. And, you know, I've been in technical rescue my whole career pretty much. But my station is a, a, a the east side heavy rescue pretty much. And these two, they didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, so when I got there, I'm like, okay, I'm not. I didn't, I accepted it and threw it up the chain, but I wanted to see what was going on. Why? Uh, so we, I trained them for a while. Yeah. Uh, I had kept them for about six months, uh, and they just were not into the technical rescue at all. And that's mm-hmm. another thing about young people, uh, coming in. My thought is they don't necessarily should come to a tech station. You know, you, you should earn your way up but they got thrown into a tech station and, oh, uh, okay. yeah. So we're having to teach basic firemanship on top of, Hey, you need to learn rope. You need to learn this. You need to learn education. And, uh, I, I, they just didn't like that, that part. So about a year I worked with them and, uh, finally it's like, look, you guys aren't grasping it. You're not really into it. Uh, so you're kind of hurting, the company and uh, talked with the chief and all that. And we were able to finally get them where they needed to go. And one of them, uh, we sent him to a busy engine. Now he's, he's doing pretty well. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can see being thrown into that early on. If you have no interest in, in any technical rescue that it could seem overwhelming. And uh, basically you lose interest in it because you can't master right. it. But yep. if you slowly bring him into it, from outside a technical rescue company, you might be developing some great technical rescue firefighters as well. That's that's right. Uh, I mean, like I said, we just got a new rook six months ago, straight out of the academy and came straight to us. And it's the same thing. We're having to teach basic firemanship on top of, hey, you're going to these classes. And the reason why is my driver's getting ready to retire. Uh, My senior man, hopefully he'll be getting promoted here soon. And then it's just me and, and the, the rook so here recently we've been putting her in classes and she's been doing good in them uh, but that's the hand i'm dealt so i have to get that person up to speed uh to get to where we are and uh but yeah it, it's a challenge uh but the good thing is with our rook she really accepts the challenge uh and she never backs down from what we hand her uh like for right. an example uh, she was in confined space with some other people last week. She got back and we did almost two and a half hour force entry and ladder drill when she got back. So, but that's the difference in somebody who wants it and wants to, to grow and somebody who's just here for a paycheck. And you can see the difference. Huge. I mean, you yes. can big time. Yeah. Uh, well, I've I've seen that just like you have. Uh, have I've seen people that are really good at it, but as soon as that um, 
time to go home, 740 hits, they don't care about the fire department. Now I'm painting or I'm doing construction or I'm, I'm doing such and such. Uh, I don't know. There's so much to know about this, this profession, so much to know about this job. And I understand people need to make money and, you know, provide for their family, but it doesn't take but to read an article before you go to bed or watch a video or something, you know, something like that. It doesn't take all day. You don't have to sit in front of a computer or text somebody in your group or or something like that all day. It just takes a few minutes uh, per day just to keep up with, hey, what's going on here? Uh, What is this tactic somebody's using here or something like that? It doesn't take all day to be into it. You know, if, like myself, I don't have a life. This is, this is it. You know, whenever I'm off, it's constantly just reading or networking or, or something. And, uh, I don't expect some, somebody else to live my life that way, but I do expect you when you are off to read at least one article, uh, watch a video, uh, do something, question something, um, you know, social media. Now there's so many pages you can go and and read or do whatever just to get the mind going. Because some of the stuff that's on there is like, I don't, I don't think that will work. But when I go on shift tomorrow, I'm going to try it and see if we can make it work. But to answer right. your question, you know, it, you don't have to. It doesn't take a lot to be into the job, I guess you could say. And that's my point too. So as a training officer, I'm always saying, you know, you should train every day. Uh, but I'm not saying you got to be pulling hose every single day and flowing, you know, upstairs with a two and a half. You can, to your point, you just read an article. You could uh, watch a video, go out to your truck, pick. I guarantee you, nobody knows everything about everything on their on their engine or truck. Right. They may know how to use it, but there's always information, it seems like, that you could get. And, of course, as, as, as I get older, I learn something new. I lose something old. So right. it wouldn't hurt to refresh myself. Um so I, I totally agree with, with what you're saying, but whatever, for whatever reason, that just hit me wrong. And I'm sure it's a me thing, not a, a him thing. It's a me yeah. thing. Uh, but I, I just don't see, and I was, I, I was a bag of shit on my department for, for a year or two where I didn't care about the job. I just came in, I sat down, did the bare minimum. And I'm very fortunate that I, I snapped out of it. Not only did I snap out of it, I, I've been more into the job. I'm a, I'm a year and a half, maybe two years away from retirement. Yeah. And I'm more into the job now than I've ever been. Um, cause I, because I see the responsibility I have, right. I have, as a training chief, I have a responsibility to make sure everybody can do their job to that level. Um, but also I could be called into the game at any time. I'm in a smaller department yeah, uh, and I have been just once or twice, not a lot, but that's enough for me to be on top of my game and trying to be physically fit, keep up with my training, which isn't hard as a training officer, you know, and then taking a little pride in what I do. Um, but we can, we can talk about that all day. I do want to talk about, um, well, I was going to talk to you about Magic City Truck Academy, but clearly you're not doing that anymore because you're on the engine. So <laughs> tell me how you're going to make uh, Magic City Engine Academy. That's or you're going to still do that truck stuff. No, that, that's not happening. I know I'm on an engine, <laughs> but but my heart is heart is in the truck. And uh, every, wherever we go to teach, I let them know, hey, I'm not on a truck no more. Uh, but my heart's there. That's where my career was. I, I like the engine. Um, like I said, we're supposedly going to a squad concept, which will make us almost like a truck without the aerial. So I'm, I'm excited for that. But uh, yeah, my heart will always be in, in the truck world. 
so how we got started, honestly, was uh, there was a group of us that started talking, saying, hey, we need some type of training. You know, our state is doing well, but we need true kind of true firemanship training. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of the guys back, that backed out, they got promoted, moved on, moved other places. So I kept the idea going. Uh, and I'm going to be honest with you. I thought this is going to be a fly by night thing. I thought we were going to last maybe six months and then it'll be gone. Whatever. We had a good time. Uh, we're going on six, going to be six years now. Uh, and been very blessed and fortunate, uh, uh, to have this people bring us in. I'm not going to say it was a smooth ride. We had what big bumps in the road, uh, getting this started and moving forward. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it was good. It's still good. And uh, just like any business, you have to relook at your business. And sometimes it's like, uh, okay, I got nine instructors. Uh, do I need nine? You know what I mean? Or can I break this down to a real tight knit circle to where there's only like three or four of us? And those three or four are really into it. They're really into the job. Every time I say, hey, we got this, they're like, what's the dates? You know, let's go. Uh, but yeah, uh, very fortunate with it. Uh, we've been from Seattle to North Carolina teaching, so um, we're very blessed to be asked to come teach. So yeah. So who are your instructors? Uh, right now, my main circle is uh, Clay McGee, uh, mm-hmm. William Knight from DeKalb County. Uh, I got Chris Groban. He'll come in with search from Birmingham and then Leighton Randall from Washington state. So those are the main, main ones that, um, I I really lean heavy on. And every time I ask them, they're right there. Right. And to be honest with you, as, as the lead and the owner, um, sometimes I can get, uh, very picky or kind of angry if things don't quite go right. And they, uh, they, they bring me down. Uh, they, they, <laughs> we mesh very well together so they right. can see it. It's like, Oh, so they'll come. It's like, it's all right. We got it. Just like logistics side, you know, you go to conferences and you don't get all your logistics or you go to conferences and travels messed up or your rooms messed up or something like that. And to me, I'm bringing people away from their family and mm-hmm. away from their time to come teach at these things and if you can't provide the logistics that we ask for or a simple room that kind that really gets me that pisses me off more than anything because i just brought these dudes if it was me i wouldn't care but i'm bringing these guys from their family they're taking time off work that's what pisses me off big time is when situations like that happen and they see it and they're my calming effect they're like it's all right we got it just calm down like all right whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, do you see a lot of big uh, changes from one coast to the other coast? Cause I know my experience is I'm, I'm very fortunate to go around teaching as well. And I noticed that uh, the West coast, I didn't even know how to say this the right way, but they seem to be more, more tactics and strategies oriented than other places I've been. Oh yeah. So, they're they're so- straight. Like when we were in Washington, I'll give you this example. We had guys from Boise, uh, guys from all over. So 
our number one class is a, is a ground ladders class, ground ladder and aerial. And we were showing them, it depends on where you are in the, in the country. Some people call it the sled. Some people call it swick. Some people just call it dragging ladders. So mm-hmm. we were showing them how to build a package together with just a roof ladder, a 24, and throw some tools on it. And we started dragging it. And the, their eyes just like exploded. And it's like, what? what's the deal? And they're like, we don't drag ladders up here. And it's like, why not? You know, you get, you can get, it's like, they're all like, brother, that's our culture. We just don't drag ladders. We carry a ladder everywhere we go. But yet, if you go to, say, North Carolina or something, they're dragging ladders Mm -hmm. all day, you know? Uh, So, yeah, that's where it's a huge culture difference. And as a outsider coming to their backyard, I kind of have to adapt uh, to what they're doing. Yeah. Do they have a reason why they don't drag? No, just their culture. So it's just because we've done it. This is the way we've done it. Always done it. Pretty much. And then we showed them they, they understood, but they're still real hesitant, you know? And we explained right. to them, hey, look, these tips are like 10, 12 bucks. And this is how you take them out and replace them. This is how you take out your butt spurs and replace them. And they're like, we feel you, but we're, we're just not going to do that part. <laughs> well i've always said now i'm not a truckie obviously i'm not a truckie uh i graduated high school so uh, (laughs) just kidding love the truckies no but uh one of the things i struggle to understand and i'm on the i don't like side of this argument right i'm getting closer because i talked to mikey torres about it and he instantly had he shut me down Right. I'll say he shut me down and goes, what about this? This and this. And I couldn't argue. So I'm coming at this next one that one, I'm not that intelligent. Uh, two, I know there's a good solid answer. Three, because I'm not that intelligent, I'm not absorbing that answer. So here's the question. Where do you stand on the Wichita lean? Uh, you know, we actually we've done a variation of that on our tiller, uh, just training, mm-hmm. uh, I understand it. I've talked to some Pierce reps about it, and they say the truck can do it. Um, I haven't talked to any other reps about it. Uh, For us, looking at our situation, we'd rarely use that where we are. But, hey, if if places that need it, if you're proficient with it, the apparatus can handle it, I say go for it. But be honest with you, we never really trained on it. You know, with us, uh, with our tiller, the main thing that we shot, worked for was we have a marker light that rides on the tractor and if we had to shoot forward we would have to shoot over that marker light so we would Mm -hmm. almost have to break the tractor from the from the tiller and we had to figure out how to shoot over that so you know uh, brian mattson helped us out with that and we figured that out but for the wichita lean hey if it works for you and again the apparatus can handle it i'd say go for it so is it something you actually teach? The Wichita lean? Yeah. No. No, we yeah. don't teach it. We don't, we don't do it, so we're not going to teach it. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So is your uh, truck academy, is it geared towards people that have been on for a while, or is it more geared towards younger group, or is it everybody? It's everybody. It's a, We've had uh, battalion chiefs to, uh, just yesterday we did a VES class, and uh, we had a rook in there that has six months on. 
and uh, he did, oh. you know, he did great in it. You know, so our classes are, are well, we this way it, it breaks down, for, especially for our ladder class. Uh, so we'll do very basics because that's the foundation. We'll do the basics in the morning and we will gauge each student. So uh, myself, Clay and, and Billy will watch the students, make see what their uh, capabilities are, uh, see where if they're struggling, um, like, say, a 24 or whatever. And then we'll take the time and work with them. Uh, then in the afternoon, we get into, I hate using the word advanced because it's not advanced. Old school firemen did it. So we'd go into splicing. We'd go into going over the roof or for scaling. We use the pompier. Uh, and then we use. Wait, what? Really? Uh, a new pompier. It's not the old pompier that you think of. Oh, okay. This is the, uh, the modern well, I hate to say modern. It's a, it's a scaling ladder from France. It's basically a big roof ladder, and I'm working on it here to get it manufactured here. Um, I'll, I'll shoot you a picture of it. Uh, we've been training Please. a lot of it. Um, I've been working on this project now probably going on three years, and uh, it takes <laughs> – trying to break something into the fire service takes forever. <laughs> and uh, – you only Ain't get the truth. You only get one shot, right? Uh, maybe two. So we're, I'm, I'm hoping our shots coming. I took this ladder to our two manufacturers that work for the fire service, and uh, one sent me a letter of cease and desist, and uh, one just basically told me no. So we're having to break this ladder in pretty much ourselves. And again, like I said, this is a one, maybe two time shot to do that but right. yeah i'll shoot you a picture of it um so we'll do that and then in the afternoon we do uh a big drills and what the drill is it's mocked after the paxton hotel fire out of chicago and mm -hmm. uh and we just it's ladders all day so we're taking the basic fundamentals in the morning that you learn adding just peppering in a little bit of stuff that you never seen and then taking both of those and running it into a drill that you've never done. And we'll add, like for us uh, in Birmingham, we have cars that will pull all the way up to, say, bedroom windows. So sometimes you have to pop the trunk and throw the ladder in the window or in the trunk to go through the window. Sometimes we'll spike it through the windshield. So we'll go over that. And we call that alternative healing because the scene is not always going to be perfect for the ground ladder. And we'll mm -hmm. show you how to spike the windshield, uh, how to spike the roof, go through the sunroof, spike the uh, trunk, go through the trunk. Uh, and when people see that, they're like, I had a situation like that. And I just threw the ladder to the side and it was so difficult to get in. Um, right. So we, we show um, how to do that. And then just different uh, ladder, ladder, position, uh, ladder throws, ladder positioning that a lot of people just didn't think about that we've run into. That's pretty interesting. That's real interesting. I never even thought about that though, like spiking through, you know, spiking through a car. Yeah. At, at any point, that's never occurred to me. That's that's brilliant. How did you come to that one? How did what, what made you say okay, let's? Besides, I mean, I know you have in your district, but when did the light come on to you? Like, well, we could let's practice and start working on doing it through the roof and doing it through this, doing it through that. Uh, it just it we did it in one class uh, because we saw it on scene. Uh, we had to kind of do it on scene we didn't spike the windshield but we kind of went on the roof uh, in the hood so 
after that, we started doing it in, in our classes. And when students would leave after we show them, we're like, okay, let's spike the windshield. Let's spike the roof. Let's spike the sunroof. Uh, where do we have to spike the ladder to make sure it's secure as soon as you go through the windshield or the back window? Where's the, how do the butt spurs react to especially the soft seats? What do we have to dig into? I mean, it's just, it's been progression with that alternative healing for a couple of years now. So every, every class we do, we try to do something different with a vehicle or some type of alternative healing. Oh, that's the absolute. I love the term too, alternative healing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's hilarious. So I appreciate your time, brother. I know it's a beautiful day, obviously, where you're at, and it's Sunday. You didn't have to sit here and talk to me in my basement, but I really appreciate giving me your time. Thank you so much for being on Three Point Firefighter. Thank you, brother. Have a good day. We'll see you. Bye.